The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. Thank you for being here with us this morning. Will you please pray with me? Father, as we come to your word now, we do pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you may take your word, illuminate our hearts and minds, take your word and plant it deep into the very depths of our hearts, into the very marrow of our bones, that we might be changed, be made more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. So Father, may the words of my mouth, meditation of all of our hearts here in this room be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, my oldest birthday is October 27th, so I always have a good sense when Halloween is approaching and when it's near, because our birthday is very close to Halloween. But I've realized in this past decade or so that I also have a whole other way of knowing that Halloween is approaching because of Halloween decorations. I don't know about you, but I don't really remember when I was growing up, and that's not that long ago, that there were Halloween decorations. And now it seems like everywhere you go, there's you know, ghouls and zombies and spider webs and all other kind of inflatable things in everyone's lawn to mark Halloween and Halloween season. And there's always somebody in your neighborhood. There's one in mine, and I'm sure there's one in yours that goes all in for Halloween. Every single thing you could possibly imagine that's on sale at Lowe's or Walmart or whatever is in their front yard, and you cannot miss it. And there's also, in our neighborhood, we have a person who turns their entire backyard into a haunted trail. I don't know if you have something like that in your neighborhood, but this guy used to be in the movie business, and so everything is top-notch. I mean, real quality props. I'm talking clown heads and axe murderers and ghosts and baby dolls and everything that is just as scary as it could possibly be. They have an infinity pool in the back of their house, and so water's always pouring over the edge, and one year they dyed the entire pool red, so it just looked like blood was pouring over the entire time. And I thought... That is a bit much. (laughs) It's a little, literally over the top. Um, But when you go at night, of course, it's pretty terrifying. Everything seems alive. You know, a clown turns its head and looks at you. A baby carriage rolls up and a baby's head pops up. A ghost comes out of the trees. So we never go when it's dark because we don't want that. I would like to sleep at night. I don't want my kids terrified. When you go during the day, though, it's very different. I'm sure you've had this kind of experience, right? 
when you go there, while it's still light outside, you can see all of the streams and all of the pulleys and the trail, you know, the racks that, uh, the, the tracks that the carriage rolls on and everything you see is really, oh, this is not real. None of these things have life in themselves. They don't have life in themselves. They're not really alive. They don't have life at all. They're just borrowing movement and life from some other source. And that image has been rolling around in my head this week, thinking about this passage from 1 John chapter 5. Not only because I keep driving by everyone's Halloween decorations, but because I think John is saying something about that very similar to this group in the church that has left the church in 1 John. The sermon series that we're coming to the end of here, we've called it Reasons to Stay. And as you've heard many times, there was this group in the church that had left, and I was calling other people out of the church to leave. And John here in chapter 5 is saying this group that had left, they are saying that we have life in ourselves. That we look alive. We have the spirit, they're saying. But, John says, they're not connected to the source. They're not connected to the source of life. These people, it's all just strings and pulleys and batteries, in other words. So this morning, three things. Particular person, fundamental dependence, and then a final question. Particular person, fundamental dependence, and a final question. So first, a particular person. Maybe even before that, we need to ask, what is going on in 1 John chapter 5? I don't know if you thought this while you were hearing Mike read 1 John 5, but it's pretty confusing. Everything sounds very cryptic, symbolic, you know? What is this come by water? But water, not only water only, but water and the blood and the spirit and the blood and the water, they're all testifying to the same thing. They all agree. You might recall that the argument that this group has been giving to the church that they had left was that Jesus was not really the son of God. He wasn't divine. He didn't really incarnate in human flesh, so he wasn't in human flesh. He didn't really die on the cross for us and didn't need to die on the cross for us because we don't really have sin. In other words, they were saying this. Hey, let's, we're with you. We like this Jesus guy. We like what he said. But you know what? Actually, the particular realities of who Jesus is, his life, his ministry, what he did, I mean, does any of that really matter? It's all sort of incidental, We like his teaching, we like his moral good life, but his incarnation, his divinity, our sin, his sacrifice for our sin, do we really need all of that? I don't think we do. We've left and we have life, see? So, join us. Verse six here, John begins, I have pains to make it clear that he does not think that Jesus came only by water because that's what this group was saying. He only came by water. Well, what does that mean? And most likely, this could be either in reference to you know, water and blood in the sacraments, or is it referring to Jesus' baptism and his crucifixion? Most likely, I think it's referring here to Jesus' baptism, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. When his ministry began and he was anointed and God the Father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, and the Holy Spirit came down and marked Jesus as the anointed one, or what is the same meaning of Christ, Messiah. It means anointed one. He took on a special role in beginning his ministry at his baptism, and John says, yes. Absolutely. I agree with that. There's nothing to disagree with that. But this group wanted to stop there. They wanted to say, hey, he had this special anointing, and we have it too. We don't have to be dependent upon him beyond that. We can self-actualize all by ourselves, in other words. They didn't want the blood, meaning the cross. They didn't like what that said about them, about their need for Jesus Remember in chapter one and chapter two, what was the thing that this group of leavers had said? They said, we have no sin in us. We're not sinners. 
And John, the apostle, had to say, no, if I, the apostle, say that I have no sin, then I'm a lying. I'm not telling the truth. So do you think this group that's saying that they don't have any sin and they don't have any dependence upon God, do you think they are telling the truth, in other words? They didn't want the particular realities, the particular Jesus, and his particular life and ministry. A couple of couple a while ago, there was a couple in our church who was struggling in their marriage. They were actually nearing divorce and things were very difficult between them. And I remember saying to the husband, and we were talking and counseling, and he said to me, I really just, I don't want to be divorced. I want to be married. And I remember saying to him, well, do you want to be married to your wife? And he said, well, that's, that's totally different. I'm like, no, it really isn't different because you are not married in general. You are married to a particular person with a particular past, a particular history, with particular quirks and habits. You cannot be married in general. This group of people liked Jesus in general. They liked the idea of Jesus. They were like the religious things, but they didn't like Jesus in particular, his particular history, his particular truth. In other words, they wanted the life he produced, but didn't want to be dependent upon him as a source of that life. It's been a large number, I don't know a large number, but <clears throat> high profile, I guess I should say, stories of men and women who are relatively, relatively well-known for being Christians who have, over the past five years or so, left the faith, left the church. And they've produced these deconstruction or deconversion stories, the reasons why they have left Jesus, the reasons why they have left the faith. And I think their stories somehow always seem very similar to this and this group in 1 John. They say things like, well, of course I still like Jesus. He's a good guy. How can you not like what he says? But, you know, I just, it's the particular things, particular teachings that he has. I don't really like the idea of this resurrection from the dead. I don't like this idea that he says he's the son of God. I don't like these particular things. But as a whole, in general, I like him. Rhett and Link, I don't know if you know these two individuals. They're relatively well-known YouTube sensations, I guess, or stars. Their two YouTube channels are Good Mythical Morning and Ear Biscuit, and they're a comic kind of duo. But they used to be on staff with Campus Crusade, or now Crew. And so they were not just Christians in the church, but they were also raising money and serving the church and serving uh, Christianity. Well, about a year ago or so, they both left the faith, or many years before that, but they posted to their different YouTube channels their deconversion, deconstruction stories. And one of the guys said this in their stories. If I don't have to believe this, then why would I? If I don't have to believe this, then why would I? And there's a very strange, interesting assumption behind the first part of that phrase, which is this. If I have all of the good things of this life, if I have all of the moral teaching, if I have all of everything that I think is right and good about life, but it's not really connected to Jesus, then why do I have to believe in Jesus? This is essentially what he's saying. If truth and beauty and life all exists beyond God or before God, if all these moral things I believe about how to hold on to life, how to treat other people, that power doesn't make right, that kids should be taken care of, that you don't kill people, 
If all that doesn't come from Jesus or come from Christianity, then why do I need to even have to believe it at all? It must be pre-existent before Jesus. There is life, in other words, in ourselves, not life in God. I wish these guys had read Tom Holland's book, Dominion. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Tom Holland is a historian. As far as I can tell, he's not a Christian. But his book argues that Christianity and Jesus Christ and the teachings of Christianity, the particular truths, have actually fundamentally changed the world. Certainly Western civilization, but also the entire world. So much so that people don't realize that the things that they assume about the world today, what's morally right, what's ethically right, what's good, all of those categories didn't exist in the way that we understand them today before the spread of Christianity and the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, even the things that many people reject the church for, for failing to meet certain standards, the standards that the church fails would not have even been standards in their own categories without the spread of Christianity and the church. And so I wonder about Rhett and Link, and I wonder about the assumptions that they are making and how similar they are making to the assumptions that this group from 1 John were making. I don't need Jesus in particular. I don't need Christianity in particular. I don't want to, and so I don't need to be dependent upon him because I think I have life in myself. To kind of put it in the categories of 1 John, it's like saying this. I can get behind the water that Jesus was important, that he was anointed as a special person, but I don't really need the blood, right? Surely that wasn't necessary. Surely I don't need that. It's kind of interesting about Rhett and Link in their podcast. You know what they never talk about? As they deconstruct their faith, they never talk about death. Which I think is very interesting. Because death becomes sort of the final place where you have to actually face what you really believe where life comes from. Because if I die... Will I still have life in myself? Or have I always ultimately been dependent on life from somewhere else? John here in 1 John chapter 5 gives us three images that are all correlated and related to Jesus. His life, his ministry, all the particulars of Jesus and his, what he has done. But these three images you'll notice, water, blood, and spirit, all three of them, they're all images for life, aren't they? We need water to live. Water brings us life. That's what our Old Testament passage makes very clear with the nation of Israel in the desert. They're dying of thirst. They need water. Water is a source of life. Blood, of course, is a very clear picture of life. It brings oxygen to all of our body and keeps us living. You know, how do you know if something is alive? Well, if you cut it and it bleeds. In Leviticus chapter 17, actually, it says that the life is in the blood. And of course, breath. The word spirit here in Greek is pneuma. In the Old Testament, the word for spirit is ruach. Both of those words can also be translated breath. Breath. We need breath to live, right? So all three of these images that are intimately connected to Jesus and what Jesus has done, they're all testifying or witnessing, as John says, to this one thing. Verse 11, 1 John 5, that life is in Jesus Christ. And the thing that this group had denied was what God was saying, that all three of these images point to and reveal that Jesus Christ is the source of life, eternal life, and all life. And when they were denying that truth, they were calling God a liar. 
And John says, no, you must be fundamentally dependent upon Jesus Christ as the source of all life. Just like Israel was dependent upon God in our Old Testament reading from Exodus 17. They're dependent upon God, of course, for water. You remember the story of Exodus 17, the nation of Israel had just been brought out of the nation of Israel through the blood of the Passover and through the waters of the Red Sea, so water and blood, and he's brought them out now into the desert. Now they were free, free from slavery, and yet they're still as entirely dependent upon God as they ever were. In verse 1 here, there's no water to drink. They're dying of thirst. Verse 3, Israel is upset. They're grumbling. Did you free us from slavery in order that you're going to bring us to die in our freedom, essentially, is what they're saying? A little tongue-in-cheek way to interpret their grumbling and complaints against God. They want to know, are you really with us? You brought us out here and you freed us, but are you really for our life? Are you just going to kill us? Do we really have life in you? So God goes to the foot of Mount Horeb here, verse 6. Mount Horeb is just another name for Mount Sinai. Where in a couple of chapters, God was going to descend from heaven, give the law to the nation of Israel, and show them there for many, many, many years into the future that there was going to be a law of righteousness and holiness that they would be unable to keep. And they were still going to have to be dependent upon someone else to make them right in the future. But at the foot of that mountain, what does God do? He says to Moses, I want you to go to this rock. I want you to strike it so that water life will flow again to the nation of Israel, to the people of God. I want to give them life by striking this rock. Seems strange. Seems like kind of a bizarre situation. If God asked me to do that, I'd probably be like, what are you talking about? (laughs) That doesn't make sense. I'm not going to do that. But obviously here, there's a symbolic picture that God was communicating to the nation of Israel for the future and to us today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul picks up on it. He says, that rock in the desert spiritually represented who? Well, Jesus. He was the rock struck in the desert so that life could flow again to the nation of Israel. That was the picture for Israel, that they had to be dependent upon God for life. And that is why, John says, Jesus must come by blood, that the rock had to be struck in order for the life of God's presence, the Holy Spirit, to flow to the people of God. Our sin, in other words, has to be dealt with if God is going to come into our presence and that we might be connected to the source of life. Because if it isn't, and God's holiness shows up in our life, it's like light coming into darkness. What happens to darkness? It gets obliterated. It disappears, right? We can't fix our sin. Israel couldn't make water show up in the desert. We can't make our way back to God. We can't make our way right with God because we do not have life in ourselves. So Christ was struck upon the cross under the curse of our own sin, of your sin, of my sin, so that the Holy Spirit, the very breath and presence of God might flow to God's people, to you and to me, to show us, unlike the lie that the nation of Israel was believing, that God actually is with us at the greatest cost to himself, to be with us, to connect us to life, and to give us life. He came to bring his very presence, which is eternal life itself, to us. And that leads us then to a final question. It's the one that Peter asks here in John, our gospel reading in John chapter 6. Peter says, after hearing all these hard things that Jesus had said, and all these disciples that were kind of on the fringe listening to Jesus talk right after the 
uh, feeding of the 5,000. They all hear that, and Jesus says some very stunning claims, and they all say, I can't handle this, and they leave, and Jesus turns to his disciples, and he says, are you going to leave too? And what does Peter say here? Where else are we going to go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. You are the Holy One of God. Very similar to what John says in 1 John chapter 5. Peter is saying, you are the particular person. You are the only place to go for eternal life. Where else can we go? That was Peter's rhetorical question. Obvious answer is nowhere else. But is that your rhetorical question? Do you believe that? Are you connected to the source of life? Are you going to Jesus? First John 6, John makes some pretty stunning claims, the ones that make everybody leave. But everything he says there are actually in line with everything John says in 1 John 5. It's not printed in your gospel reading because it's a long section. But before our reading, Jesus says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, referring to himself, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Verse 57 of chapter 6, he says, as the Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me will also live because of me. Because I'm connected to the Father, the source of all life, who has life in himself. If you're connected to me, You have life in yourself. But if you don't, you don't have life. Whoever feeds on this bread, Jesus, the bread of life, will live forever. And many of the disciples hearing that said, that's a hard saying. That sounds very exclusive. Sounds very particular. Everyone must be dependent upon you like we're dependent upon bread for life, food for life. And Jesus says, yes, I am the source of life. I am the only answer to death, to sin. I am the spring of water that never runs dry, like the rock struck in the desert, pouring forth water. I am the air that breathes breath into your lungs. I can paint your soul with my blood so that it will turn you into the place where God's presence and God himself will dwell, clean, absolved from sin, covered, shame covered, truly alive, but you have to be dependent upon me like bread. You have to eat of me. All these other things, this is important to think this way. There's all these other things that we look to in life. We think you must be the source of life. You're the thing that's going to give me life and meaning and value and keep me alive. But we have to ask the question that Rhett and Link don't want to ask. Because what happens at the end. What happens if all those things that we are hoping and trusting in to make us feel alive and to make us alive perish or die or go away? Things that are all good too. The eyes of a lover, a wonderful vacation, wealth and power, close relationships with dear friends and family members. You heard uh, Brent pray. Many people in our congregation losing a father, facing cancer, looking at death now in the face, knowing that if this chemotherapy does not work, they're going to die in a matter of months, if not years. And if that is true, then where will you go for life? If you lose all these things, can you still have life? You have to be connected to the very source of life that actually gives meaning and value and purpose to all those other things, 
the one who created things to be beautiful and to be meaningful, that point back to him. He's the only one that can restore as well the things that are lost to you. Because he is the one who has life in himself and the power over life and death. He is the only one whose particular life meant that particularly he went to the cross and then through the cross resurrected to new life again because he has life in himself. And that is why Peter turns to Christ and says, where else are we going to go? There is no one like you. Last thing that John says here in chapter 5 is that he's writing all of these things to this church here in 1 John so that those who are trusting in Christ, believing in Christ, holding to him by faith, they might know that they have what? Eternal life. If you have the Son, John says, you have life. So for those of you who are trusting in Jesus, how do you know that you have him? How do you know? Where are you going to go to be assured that you are united to Jesus, that you are united to his life? And John would say to this church in 1 John, there, in that body of believers, in that community, stay. That is where Christ is. To us, he would say, here, in this church, among and connected to the body of Christ, the people of God, and the life of this body, in our songs and in our prayers, in our shared faith and trust, in your own faith and trust and dependence upon God. But also, he would say, in the water and in the blood. There's a big debate on this part here in 1 John chapter 5 among all the commentators. When John says the water and the blood, is he talking about Jesus' baptism and the crucifixion, the water and blood, which is obviously what I talked about earlier in the sermon, or is he talking about the water and the blood as in baptism and communion? I'm going to do a Timism right here, right? Which one? Yes. <laughs> both. Both. Of course. John is implying both. Because in the waters of baptism, we are united to Christ's own baptism and to the Spirit. We become little anointed ones, in other words. Last week, Tim mentioned that the word Christian comes from the believers in Antioch. And Christian means little Christ. And Christ means anointed one. So in our baptism, we are connected to Christ's own baptism. As Christ was anointed, so too we become little anointed ones, sharing the same anointing, born into the church, entering into the life of God with Christ. And at the Eucharist that we'll celebrate here in a moment, we are given the blood of Christ to drink. And in the wine, we have the life of Christ and his sacrifice for our sins to go down into the very depths of our souls and even into our bodies so we can be remade into the image of Christ, washed from the inside out. Even as at baptism, we are washed from the outside in. Even as the blood of our own bodies beats in our heart, as we drink the wine and the blood of Christ, our own metaphorical hearts begin to beat with the very life of Christ itself so that our desires become molded to Christ's desires so we can be assured that we are united to Jesus and we are alive with his very presence, that we are connected to the source of eternal life. Both signs to us that God the Holy Spirit is with us just as he was with the nation of Israel at the foot of Mount Horeb, animating us, carrying us along in life and beyond life, past death to life eternal. So every Sunday, today, and every week, 
we are reminded again and again, you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you are reminded that you might know that you have Jesus Christ, and in having him, you have eternal life in him. And you're reminded if you do not believe in the name of the Son of God, that you can. You are invited to be connected to the source of life. So, stay. That is what John says to this church, as he says to us. Find life here and in him. Be reminded of this truth and assured that you are in Christ and he is in you every Sunday. Here is Christ. Here is life. Here is Jesus. Amen. Father, we do ask that we, by faith, may hold on to your son, Jesus Christ, who is the source of life, who is eternal life himself. And Father, may you give us that faith to trust and hold to him. And may we be assured that we belong to him, that you are with us, that you are for us, that you are indeed among us because of your son, Jesus, and that we are united to him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.